So this is one of those episodes where you are going to be tempted to skip it or not pay as close attention because the topic is suspiciously uh, titled. It's Legal and Regulatory Concerns, which, I mean, let's be honest, those are not exactly two of the more exciting topics that ever come up in the insurance world. But I can promise you uh, this is going to be a very grounded and practical episode. Listening to this episode is going to save someone from being sued. Uh, It's going to save someone from a massive major headache that could have been avoided with a little bit of different practice. So we're going to hit the bumper in just a second and dive straight into legal and regulatory concerns in your agency. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry, those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Episode six, what's going on, everybody? I am James Jenkins, your host on this crazy adventure. You're listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we take our listeners from captive to indie, to market, domination. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for spending your valuable time. I will endeavor to be worth your time and to make sure that everything that we do together is focused on action and focused on you having the absolute best agency possible. You know, I had probably one of the the best compliments that a podcast host uh, can receive over uh, this past couple of days. I'm recording this on a Saturday afternoon at my office. And uh, yesterday, I think it was, I got a message from someone that said, hey, I I really want to appreciate uh, or show appreciation because I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, in insurance and and outside of the industry. A lot of podcast hosts just like to hear themselves talk, but it's obvious that you are uh, prepared for the topic and you're really actionable. And you know, from the perspective of someone who is creating the content that uh, you are hopefully uh, continuing to listen to, uh, that's a really warm compliment. And it's it's just affirmation of what I'm trying to do because really this whole thing is what I wish I would have had when I was making the freedom jump from the captive to the independent world. To that point, if this is your first episode, then here's the idea. Agency Freedom Podcast exists to equip people that are still in the captive world 
uh, show them exactly how to make the jump at a very practical level. And for people that are already in the independent world, we are addressing important topics to help you get better, uh, be more profitable, more efficient, more effective, give better experience for your clients and channel partners and grow your agency, be the best possible version of yourself. So either you're a captive or you're an indie, either way, we're in this together. So a couple of quick housekeeping items like we do for every episode. The, the three actions that I ask for, uh, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Those subscriptions really help the algorithm. Go ahead and leave a review if we've done, uh, if I've done anything for you that has been useful, helpful. Go ahead and spend 30 seconds of your time and drop a review on whatever platform you listen on. And lastly, most importantly, please invite someone, please share this podcast with someone in your circle that you think would benefit from the information. Uh, that is the best thing you can do, especially if that person is in the captive world and might be looking for uh, an exit, might be looking for a better situation. So this episode is all about legal and regulatory uh, concerns. We're going to jump right into legal first. It's going to be very practical. You may be tempted uh, to just skip over it entirely because these, these two areas, legal and regulatory, are pretty dry, uh, typically not exactly fun reading, um, but we're going to talk in very specific detail about things that you need to be aware of in your agency from a, re, uh, a regal and regulatory <laughs> No, no, uh, legal and regulatory concerns uh, to help you avoid uh, getting sued, having an E&O claim, uh, getting fined, having penalties assessed by Department of Insurance or your commissioner's office. You're, there's a lot of things that can be avoided if we are being thoughtful. So uh, shall we jump in? Okay, actually hit the wrong button. I was trying to go for this button. Yes. All right. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. You know, when you're hiring, uh, when you're doing a podcast, it really is helpful to have a yes man. Yes. Not necessarily when you're running an insurance agency. So, all right. If you want to get my notes uh, for what we're talking about here, if you're not the type of person that likes taking, you know, actual notes when you're listening to a podcast, you're probably in your office, multitasking or driving a vehicle right now. Go ahead and subscribe. Visit agencyfreedompodcast.com. Sign up for our email list. Every Friday morning, I will send you uh, my episode notes with recap. There's resource links. If there's important stuff uh, that you need to be taking away from the episode, uh, that is a great way to do it. And it's dropped right in your inbox every Friday morning about 6 a.m. Central Standard Time. So go ahead and hit us up at agencyfreedompodcast.com if that's your cup of tea. So... Jumping right into the content now, when we think about legal concerns, uh, we are looking for ways to remain on the good side of the law, and the law is set by the legislature in your state and at the federal level. With concerns um, in the insurance industry, there is very little uh, that is set at the federal level. There's going to be some employment laws, there's going to be some tax considerations, uh, but just about everything from an insurance, an actually insurance industry-related stuff is going to be done at the state level. So we're going to be considering how we can remain uh, on the right side of the law. At the end of this episode, we will talk about uh, some ways to uh, potentially impact the laws that are on the books to drive positive change in your state and the industry at large, but that's at the very end of the episode. So we're just going to run through, um, it's actually a total of eight points 
Uh, we're just going to hit them one at a time and, and go through everything here. That's all I said like at the beginning, very practical. So first one, document everything. Everything, everything, everything in your office. If you want to avoid legal headaches, document everything. Every phone call, every email, every text message, every fax received after every phone call. Uh, you should be having notes taken in your CRM, your AMS, whatever uh, your primary way of uh, tracking information. Prospects, yes, that's important, but notes of existing client conversations. When someone calls in uh, and says over the phone, hey, I've got a request, we at my office at Riskwell ask them to send an email to that effect, or if it's a material change in their policy, we have an online service request form that we have them fill out, even if they are uh, calling in. We want that form filled out. At the very least, we want an email with them requesting it so it is able to be logged and timestamped. But that's just one example of the document, everything. Uh, every material conversation you have with your team internally, if there's a coaching conversation, document it in, in the team member's file. If there is a disciplinary action of some sort, even if it's a verbal disciplinary action, it needs to be documented in the file. I had a boss... Uh, back in the day, this is before insurance, it's more than a decade ago, and one of his favorite phrases was, if it's worth saying, it's worth writing down. Uh, and he was a guy who literally had notes everywhere, um, you know, sticky notes and notebooks and whatnot. Uh, but if it's important, it needs to be documented somewhere. Uh, so take notes for the client file. Uh, pretend like everything that you say or do or write down is going to end up in a courtroom someday in front of a judge and possibly a jury. So every client interaction should be taken with the mindset that worst case scenario, this ends up in front of a judge and jury. So uh, have that mindset with every client interaction, every conversation that you have, every action that you take, make sure that everything is set up for long-term success. Number two now is we're going to get a signature every time a client is losing something. If they are removing coverage, if they are reducing limits, if they are taking away a vehicle, uh, removing a driver, uh, removing a class of business, reducing payroll for work comp, if they have sold a piece of equipment and we're terminating an inland marine policy or we're removing something from a schedule, Make sure that we're documenting and getting a signature for every single thing that is being taken away from the insured. We're not as uh, as a militant, aggressive, whatever word you want to use, when it comes to getting something more. If the client is getting something more or better than they had before, we don't necessarily need to have a signature. Something as simple as an email requesting it is perfectly fine. But if they are... Uh, removing or reducing or declining something, you better believe uh, that we are going to get a signature and get them uh, to have that in their permanent file so that no one can ever come back and say, I didn't say that, I didn't ask for that. Uh, because if you're not documenting every reduction, every removal, it's entirely possible that someone can come back and say uh, that you did something they did not want you to do. And if you don't have any documentation, then you have no defense documentation equals defense. So if you don't like the idea of being sued 
by one of your clients and having your E&O policy reflect your lack of documentation, then it's probably a good idea to be in the habit of, uh, at the very least, getting something in an email uh, if uh, there is a reduction or removal or declination. But really strongly consider uh, having a signature, uh, DocuSign, InsureSign, uh, Formstack. There's so many different signature vendors that are uh, of, of an acceptably professional level uh, that will hold up in court. So pick whichever one of your favorite vendors that is and make sure you're getting a signature for anything uh, that is important. So next is, this is kind of a controversial topic. Uh, it's a little bit hard sometimes because everyone likes to uh, to feel like an expert, to, to give their opinion, to give advice on social media. When someone, one of your clients asks a question, uh, it's really important that we as professionals, as uh, licensed agents of our companies, as uh, licensed uh, industry professionals in our states of residence and operation, we've got to stay in our lane. Yes! We absolutely must stay in our lane. We are, as professionals, most of us are trusted advisors that our clients, I mean, think about all the stuff that you have about your clients, all the things that you know about them. Uh, you know their history. You know where they live. You know their kids. You know the work that they do. Uh, you know if they have uh, gotten arrested. You know if they had a, a driving while intoxicated. You know if they broke the speed limit and got caught. Uh, the kinds of conversations, the kind of trust that you have with your clients has a certain amount of responsibility attached to it. Uh, we have more access to our clients than a lot of other uh, professionals do. If we're doing our job correctly, that is. Uh, if you are just an order taker, if you are highly transactional in the way that you do business, perhaps you don't have that trust. Uh, I would hope that you do. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're the kind of person that cares about your agency and wants to be better. So I'm going to assume if you're listening to this, yeah, you definitely have the trust of your clients and they're probably asking you a lot of questions that may not have anything at all to do with the practice of insurance or risk management. That's why I say it is so essential to stay in your lane, especially uh, for those of you that are relatively new to the practice of insurance. It's nice to tell someone the answer. If you know the answer, that's great. But if you're going to say something that is outside of your licensed credentialed uh, professional um, experience uh, for something that your company or the state insurance office or some other office like the state bar association or uh, insert here, uh, financial advisor, accounting, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, we want to be very, very clear of who we are and who we are not. And as you've heard from me in this very podcast on several occasions, I have given a disclaimer and said, look, I am not qualified. I am not a credible uh, expert in the field of insert here. Please do your own research. This is anecdotal. Uh, this is for informational purposes only. This is not legal advice, accounting, uh, tax, financial, etc. If something requires a license or a certification or belonging to uh, some professional trade association, uh, you should probably not be talking about those things in an anecdotal fashion with your clients. At the very least, disclaimers are your friend. Every document that we deliver to a client 
has a table of contents page. Uh, it's page two, right after the title page. And there's a block, a paragraph right below it that says very simply, uh, this is for information purposes only. This document is not intended to be a taxation, accounting, legal, financial advice of any kind. And this is not a binder or contract or offer uh, you know, of insurance. Um, it is not any of those things before. Uh, this is uh, very, very important as we are trying to remain on the good side of all of these client relationships. Let's respect people and and tell them when we are potentially talking outside of our area of expertise. I mean, as simple as, hey, you know what? In my experience, I'm pretty sure this is the right answer. But let me just say, I am not an attorney. I'm not qualified to give you legal advice. I would recommend you talk with your attorney. And the I usually put in the disclaimer of, from my perspective as a risk manager, or from the perspective of the risk management world, this is what my answer would be. But I'm not an attorney, so I'm not able to give you the legal side of that argument. I would recommend that you talk to so-and-so. Uh, that is going to be a great way to save yourself a lot of hassle um, because no one can ever say, well, I was advised by so-and-so. And then and third party, part, excuse me, third party comes back and says, oh, that's very interesting. Well, I see here that so-and-so doesn't have uh, a CPA uh, designation. I see that so-and-so is not a, a registered rep or, you know, Series 7. And then FINRA or the Securities and Exchange Commission comes and jumps down your throat and gives you a huge pain in the butt. So, you know, I am I'm camping out on this point because it's very important uh, that we as professionals stay in our lane. And it's an absolute uh, pandemic. Um, you know, that, that word means something different in a post-COVID world. But in our industry, I, I mean that. It is basically a disease of people that like just bloviating at length on topics that are outside of their uh, professional uh, credentialing and licensing. And I just think it's a dangerous thing. Uh, yeah, I'm on my soapbox right now a little bit if you can't tell. But we as insurance professionals really need to be mindful of staying in our lane. In the same way that we would want other professionals to stay in their lane. Uh, how annoying is it? How infuriating when a mortgage loan officer is giving insurance advice to a client because it's usually terrible advice. You know, the same for real estate or hard money lenders or whatever. Hey guys, don't freaking give insurance advice. That's my job. Stay in your lane. In the same way, we need to be mindful of staying in our lanes as well. So enough with that. Right along those same lines of stay in your lane in other fields and industries, uh, and this is another controversial thing. I don't mind saying I, I recognize that there are going to be differences of opinion here. That's totally cool. You feel free to disagree. Feel free to ignore this advice entirely. Uh, I will say it very bluntly. I am not a licensed claims adjuster. I have not been asked by any carrier to serve as a claims adjuster. So, I will not act like a claims adjuster. And when it comes to the outcome of a claim, when it comes to interpreting coverage on the front end of making sure the policy is written correctly to reflect the exposures that the client has presented to you, yes, absolutely. Let's make sure that we are interpreting policy language uh, to the degree that we need to be making selections of coverage and lines of business in the way that delivers the best outcome for the client. 
That being said, in a claim situation or a potential claim situation, we really got to stay in our lane. And remember, we are not as agency owners. I mean, if you are, then great. Good for you. I'm not talking about the extreme minority because I'm sure somebody listening to this has a claims adjuster's license as well as property and casualty uh, or life and health, uh, general lines, etc. You could very easily be an agency owner and be a claims adjuster. So if that's you, if you're the unicorn, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the masses here. So the the claims process is done by claims professionals. And I think we do ourselves a really bad thing uh, when we insert ourselves in the claims conversation. You're going to be very mindful of saying anything that might be construed as a binder of coverage because you as an agent of the company uh, have an opportunity to tell something tell someone that something is covered uh, and you are an agent of the company it depends on the carrier but there are a lot of carriers out there if you have a, a situation where you as the agent tell an insured explicitly insert situation here is covered a lot of carriers whether it's covered or not uh, if it ends up being not covered uh, they will take that verbal binder that you gave to the insured they will uh, take the claim and they will subrogate against you as the agent and your e and o policy will pick up uh, the claim for that client because the carrier said no this is actually not covered but the agent said it is covered so rather than deal with a lawsuit the carrier will pay the claim and ask your e and o policy to pick up the tab so we need to be really careful of the things that we are saying when it comes to the claims process. We need to have stock answers for, yeah, um, I'm actually going to allow uh, the claims adjuster to handle that. Let me know how it goes. If you're unhappy with something, I'll be uh, happy to come in and get with the adjuster and see what's going on here and work for your best outcome. Other than that, um, I'm going to let the other team, the, uh, the claims adjuster team, do their job. It's a really good idea for you to allow the claims adjuster to do their job and stop pretending or acting like you are a credentialed claims adjuster. Because aside from being potentially in violation of your contract with your carrier, it's also a really bad idea just economically. And getting into that part of the relationship with the client, uh, it almost never works in your favor. So moving now into number five out of our eight, this one is very simple in an action sense. It is know the policy forms that you write. That is the advice here uh, for number five. You want to get out of legal trouble. Know the forms that you write. Know your policies inside out, backwards, forwards. I'm not going to camp out on this one very long. I will simply say there are six components of a standard ISO-based insurance services office. They are uh, the the body that is basically responsible for the forms that every carrier starts with for the most part um, and all policies uh, with very very few exceptions on the manuscript side of things start as an ISO policy and then the carrier will make their own adjustments as they see fit to an ISO policy. That being said every single insurance policy that is uh, in any way standard is going to have six components and we're just going to read them off and we're going to very briefly discuss what they are. And then the homework for you is know your forms, know your policies, know what they do, know what they say. Because a lot of people out there in the marketplace are going to think 
incorrectly that they are purchasing a product in the same way that they would go down to grocery store and buy a loaf of bread. They think their insurance policy is a product. It is not. It is a contract. It is a binding contract between a party, the policy holder, and an insurance carrier, the provider of the policy. Without getting too far into the weeds, it is a unilateral policy because the carrier is the one that decides what's in it and what's not, what's covered and what's not. And the policyholder only has the option of either accepting or rejecting the offer of the contract. It's not a negotiation. It's not a conversation. The policyholder simply accepts or rejects. So what are we getting into here? The six components of just about every policy. The first is going to be the declarations. We're all familiar in a general sense with the declarations page. It's going to contain all of the pertinent information for the policy, the effective date, the expiration, the named insured, the basic coverage items, and it's probably going to give a forms list where each and every endorsement and exclusion is listed right after the declarations information. Number two, or, or letter B, I should say, second is the insuring agreement. This is the, the skeleton, the absolute core of an insurance policy is the insuring agreement. It will list out exactly what the insurance is covering. It will list who the insured is. And it will basically serve as the foundation for the, the entire rest of the policy form. Then we have the third one, definitions. The policy will define anything that it needs to define. And as a quick tip, if you are ever reading a policy form and you see a word in quotations, it means that that word is defined somewhere in that policy, either in that section or in the definitions section of the policy. The next is exclusions, which we are all familiar with in a general sense. Exclusions are taking away coverage. There's several reasons why an exclusion might be on the policy. It may very well be that uh, the carrier is intending for that coverage to be provided through a different line of business. For instance, a general liability policy carrying an exclusion uh, for uh, pollution, for instance, contractors pollution coverage because they intend for a pollution policy, an environmental liability policy to be purchased if the insured wishes to have that line of coverage. So in the interest of remaining cost competitive, uh, they are going to exclude uh, pollution, using this example, from the basic GL policy because if you want that coverage, go out and buy it on its own form. There's a lot of people that don't need that coverage, so they're going to exclude it, just as an example. The next is conditions. It's basically an if-then sort of situation where the insured is responsible for uh, taking certain actions or not taking certain actions in order for coverage to apply. So make sure you're very aware of the conditions because you could find yourself nullifying an insuring agreement if the condition of the policy is not met. And lastly, the last uh, section here of the policy that you need to be aware of in a general sense is simply endorsements. An endorsement is any material change to the base policy. And that could be uh, adding coverage, removing it. That could be uh, changing language in one of the forms on the policy. An endorsement is, is a very, very broad term because it means literally any material change to the policy. So 
get very familiar with the stuff that you sell. It is absolutely appalling to me the number of agents that are selling a product they do not understand. In the captive world, I would say it is the extreme majority. I mean, almost all of the captive agents out there have no idea what every uh, word, every letter, every page of the policy that they sell because they think of it as a product and not a binding contract. Once you realize fully that the product that you are selling is a binding contract, a legal document between your customer, your client, and the insurance carrier, you will treat it differently. I'm certain of that. So the last thing I'll say on the policy forms, it's a great idea to build a policy specimen library. All of your carriers, all of your lines of business, one of the things that I do religiously, when we get a new carrier, we ask them for a, a copy of all of their forms. They're called specimens. If you ask an underwriter or a program manager or a, a sales executive, whoever your liaison is with the carrier, say, hey, where can I get a copy of all of your policy forms and specimens? They can probably give you those. Keep them on file. It's always a good idea to be able to reference a specimen if you have a question about whether a policy should be covering something or not. Moving now into uh, number six here on the list uh, is simply put it on paper. Uh, whatever you are doing, if it's important, put it on paper. We've talked about it in previous episodes, um, but if you are saying something, either with an internal member of your team or an external party, make sure it's on paper. That way the scope, the expectations, the desired outcome can be known by all and agreed to. And if something is happening where money is changing hands or time and energy is being spent on something, you've got to put it in writing. Number seven is contracting with an outsourced provider for things that you don't need to be the expert on. HR and compliance are great things. Um, we really have to stop pretending like we are HR professionals. Um, you're not a member of SHRM. Uh, if you're probably not anyway, uh, the Society of Human Resource um, Management or Human Resource Managers should say SHRM. So uh, get a hold of someone, whether it's ThinkHR uh, as a vendor or someone else, outsource the HR and compliance component of your operation. Please, for God's sake, do not try to do it yourself and save a few dollars. It will come back to bite you eventually. It's just a matter of when, not if. And then lastly, number eight in our list of legal concerns and advice to avoid legal headaches, it is we've got to hire that attorney, that business attorney in particular, but whomever it is, if it's a state planning, business attorney, anything in the law side of things, you do not want to be going to Google or legal Zoom and trying to make it happen yourself. Playing amateur attorney is a great way to get yourself sued. So please hire an attorney, hire HR and compliance, outsourced stuff. Third-party consultants in those areas are worth every penny you pay them and then some. So that's it for the legal side of things. We're going to move now in just a moment. I'm going to allow for that, uh, that little break that always comes up right around this time in the episode for that commercial break. So here we go. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, 
what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have in 30 days. That's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him, I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed, let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia, we saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual intel, that's with two L's, that's virtual, I-N-T-E-L-L, Com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recruiting, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel. Cast certified. Okay, so coming back now from the commercial break, we're going to talk about regulatory concerns. We only have five here. And again, these are things that are just best practices, advice to help you avoid regulatory headaches in your office. So we want to make sure that we are staying inside the bounds and that we are not uh, willy-nilly, we're not acting in careless or foolish or I'm too busy for that sort of ways and creating a problem for ourselves. The first one is going to be privacy. And we have a moral, an ethical, a regulatory obligation to actively police and protect the data that is provided to us by our prospective and future clients. This is something that most agencies do a really poor job of. Uh, we don't take a serious enough approach to protecting this information. If someone has sensitive information, bank accounts, uh, date of birth, driver's license, social security, uh, etc., even name and home address is considered um, basically protected information in a more um, general sense. We don't need to be uh, giving out information to third parties or failing to protect it from uh, even people in our own office. If you have data, it needs to be inside of a secured system. Your agency management system has a password and login. Your Wi-Fi, if you're storing it on your computer in a file folder or in uh, some cloud-based storage, Microsoft OneDrive, Google Drive, Dropbox, etc. All of these things are considered protected, but we have to be making very sure from a regulatory perspective that we are being good stewards of the data that has been uh, trusted to us. So. You need to have a password manager. You need to have protocols in place for you and your team to be accessing and transmitting that data and have something written down where everybody on your team is doing exactly what they should be doing and not doing anything they shouldn't be doing. Next, we're talking about consent. It's really important, especially in uh, this day and age. In the last you know couple of decades now, it's, it's really been a thing. But getting consent to communicate with someone as a part of the onboarding, whether it is a web form, whether there's a checkbox of consent, uh, if you are having someone call into your office, you know, having some verbal thing uh, where 
you know, asking for permission to call them or email them as a part of your script for the uh, discovery call or the fact-finding portion of the conversation. It's really easy when it's digital because we can automate the whole thing and make it a mandatory checkbox. Uh, that's all we do. We add a consent checkbox at the end of our uh, quote request form on the website. But getting consent, especially if you intend to phone or text someone, becomes really important because uh, there are two federal things that you are probably familiar with. Uh, the first is TCPA, the Telephonic Consumer Protection Act. And that really has some teeth to it, especially when it comes to text messaging. If you are slamming and cramming, if you are uh, doing stuff with people's uh, personal cell phone information that you should not be doing, if you're texting them without their permission, TCPA has some real teeth. It is $1,500 per violation. And it basically becomes a violation if you are uh, texting someone without their permission, if they ask you to stop in any way and make their desire for you not to communicate with them known to you and you continue to text them every single message every text after that point carries an individual up to fifteen hundred dollar fine so tcpa is no joke we need to be really careful when we are calling or texting or emailing people that we have their consent to communicate with them and an existing business relationship is fine but we need to make sure that we have that on paper somewhere. Uh, paper, of course, could also be digital paper. Uh, it could be pixels on a, on a computer screen. That's totally fine too. But we've got to make sure we're getting consent for communication without just willy-nilly firing things off and having automated texts or emails or phone calls or ringless voicemail drops go out to someone without their permission. Next is going to be declination forms. Anytime someone goes against your recommendation as a professional, if you don't get a declination form signed by them, then you are giving them great opportunity to come back and say that you didn't give them that advice and they want to sue or they want your E&O policy to pick up the tab, whatever their claim situation is. A declination form is a wonderful CYA tool and CYA is an acronym for cover your assets and that is something that you should be doing on a daily and conversation by conversation basis. If someone is declining your advice, it's like when they are trying to leave the hospital and their doctor says, I don't think you should leave. They are required to sign a release that says, and it's the AMA release form against medical advice. If you're going to leave the hospital and your doctor doesn't want you to, well, you're going to sign a release form that says you recognize that you're going against the professional's advice. Your office should be no different. If you are recommending that someone get cyber liability and data breach protection and they say, you know what, I don't think I want that. You say, cool, I'm not in the business of arguing with people. You do whatever you want. It's my job to inform and empower you. If you choose to go against my advice, no big deal. Please sign here. And that please sign here is actually a sales tool as well if you are using it correctly because when someone has to put on paper that signing that I was advised to get this and I chose to not get this, what you are doing is creating FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt in someone's brain and the very act of asking them to sign the declination form more times than not will bring them back and get them to have the coverage uh, that you wanted them to have anyway. Uh, unless they're just heart set on saying no, in which case, okay, fine, sign the declination form, have the CYA, and move on. Because uh, I don't know about you, but I am way too busy to be arguing with someone uh, about a coverage item. If you don't want to do what I suggested you do, cool. Go ahead and expose yourself. 
Uh, that's fine. If you want to keep that risk for yourself and retain it, more power to you. You may be lowering your total cost of risk. You may not if it's not something you should be retaining. Either way, a declination form is a really good idea. So moving on. Regulatory concerns pertaining to multi-state operations. This is something that becomes a real bugaboo if you're like me and you are operating in multiple states. Now, I didn't fully appreciate how complex this was going to be until we really started ramping up the numbers. At the time of recording, we are now in 35 states uh, and we will probably be in all 50 states by the end of 2021 in order to better serve our real estate investor clients who are all over the place. Uh, we get an average of uh, 35 or 40 inbound requests for, uh, for insurance from real estate investors every single month. Uh, at least one a day on average, uh, almost two a day when you think about the fact that there's uh, basically you know, 20 to 22 working days uh, in a typical month. So when you're getting into multiple states, there's a lot of things you need to be mindful of uh, if you are writing any surplus lines, especially because some states allow for brokerage fees to be charged to the client and some don't. Some allow you to charge a fee and collect a commission. Some make you choose one or the other. And it's going to vary from state to state. Uh, in some states, the broker fee that you charge is taxable in the same way that the pure premium is for uh, the state's surplus lines tax and stamping fee. In some states, the fees that are charged are not taxable. So getting awareness of the multi-state uh, considerations, um, some states require you to file a state tax return if you have revenue generated from clients in that state. Uh, so just get really aware of the obligations that you have if you are operating in multiple states because there's almost certainly strings attached to being in multiple states. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's kind of an ego boost to be able to say, yeah, my insurance agency writes in five states or whatever the number happens to be. But there are definitely some concerns from a regulatory perspective that come from being uh, a multi-state operation. So just make sure you're not getting blindsided by uh, something like that because they don't play fair with fines and penalties. <laughs> Lastly, the last point here under the regulatory side of things, number five, is legislative advocacy. And I saved this one for the end because I think this one is absolutely critical for those of us that care about more than just our own agency, uh, those of us that care about the industry as a whole and the trend of the industry and where we are going as a profession. It's a really big, important thing for us to be engaging with our uh, representative uh, bodies, our House's representative, our state senates, our assemblies, for those of you that don't have senates, you have assemblies or a different uh, name for it. But engaging with our elected officials, our uh, political representatives becomes absolutely incredibly important because those people directly impact you and me and our policyholders. So when we want them to know something, if there's a bill up for consideration, we need to be voicing our opinion. If there is something that you care about, you need to be letting your representative know. Let them hear from you. And one of the most effective things that we can do to engage in an advocacy sort of way in the legislative, in the political, in the lawmaking process is by joining 
a trade association. And in our industry, in the insurance world, the, the big three um, typically are, are all the same on the PNC side of things. Big I is uh, usually the first one that comes out of people's mouths. And PIA, the Professional Insurance Association or Insurance Agents, or I'm not I'm butchering their acronym there, but professional insurance agents is basically what it is. And IIABA, the uh, International Insurance Agents and Brokers Association, uh, those three are typically going to be the trade associations that you're going to um, hear the most about. They have a lot of clout in state legislatures. They have professional full-time lobbyists and people that are representing you and I with the issues that um, impact us and our industry at the state level. So being aware of what is happening in your state, being aware of the laws and the regulations that impact you and your clients is, is a really good idea. It is something that is worth your time and energy. And I think if uh, you are allowing someone else to carry the water, then the very least you can do is join that trade association that best aligns with your vision and values. Join them as a member and pay your dues. If you're not even active and going to meetings, going to in our state where I am, Texas, we travel to Austin um, a couple of times during the legislative session, which just ended uh, in, in Texas. It ended about a week ago as I record this. Um, and I actually didn't go this session. Uh, I've been to Austin several times as a grassroots lobbyist. I've been to Washington, D.C. Uh, twice um, back in my captive agent days. Uh, I went there as a part of NAFA, the National, um, uh, National Alliance of Insurance and uh, Financial Advisors. Um, that is a great organization that is more on uh, the life and health and disability and financial advising side of the insurance uh, practice. It's not really a PNC thing. And for those of you that are life and health focused agents, there are several um, uh, several uh, organizations that represent you predominantly. Uh, the National Association of Life Underwriters, NALU, uh, there are several other organizations uh, that are more focused on the life, health, annuities, accident uh, side of the insurance practice. Uh, but from a regulatory perspective, whatever side of the business you're on, please get active, get engaged with your association, become familiar, become aware with the regulatory, the legislative process, things that impact you and your state, your policyholders, your business. There is a lot that goes on in your state capital uh, that you can directly impact through calling, through becoming a member of a trade association, through visiting offices, in your, uh, your district, wherever you are, and also in your state capital, making sure that your voice is heard. Uh, that is just so important, and so many people don't care a thing about it and are just totally oblivious uh, to what is going on and how it impacts them specifically. So to wrap up, we talked about legal and uh, – sorry, here's a little bell thing. We talked about legal and regulatory concerns today. Eight – uh, talking points under legal, five under regulatory, and that's basically it. Uh, check out the recap uh, episode notes. Please download them. Uh, if you want that link, you can go to agencyfreedompodcast.com, sign up for the email list. We'll get that dropped into your inbox every Friday morning. You can also communicate with me personally. I read every email that comes in, podcast 
at riskwell.com. If you have ideas, if you have complaints, suggestions, anything we can do to make this a better, more useful podcast for you. And lastly, the biggest thing that I will say here at the very end, we are about uh, to start recording our interviews. We're almost done. We have uh, two more episodes for the foundational. Uh, We have one more episode of these concern things. Uh, The last one is internal and moral concerns. And that will wrap up our 12 uh, areas of concern. Then I've got a special treat for you guys. Uh, At at the end of these foundational episodes, uh, episode 8 is going to be our first interview, but it's actually uh, my favorite interview. My wife, Allison, is going to join us. The topic of episode eight is going to be, are you ready to make the jump? And it's going to be specific to people that may not be um, in the insurance or in the independent side yet. Uh, I'm going to interview her about what it's like being married to someone who is considering making the jump who is on the captive side and wants to be on the independent side. I'm going to ask her some questions. We're going to have a really frank and candid dialogue on the process of making the jump and include the spouse because the simple fact is if you are a married individual, then whatever you do has tremendous impact on your spouse and your family. So I would be foolish if I did not include my bride in that particular uh, conversation for you guys. So check that out. Um, Episode 8, I will be recording that uh, next week and it will drop two weeks after this one drops, the one you're listening to right now, which is episode 6. So that is it for our content for today. Again, please, three things I always ask in these episodes. Please subscribe, whatever your favorite platform is. Leave a review. And if you like what you hear, share it with someone in the captive world that needs to hear this because we are going to change lives and free people from a career that is not even close to what it could be. That's it for episode six. I'm your host, James Jenkins. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We will talk to you soon.